Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. Priscilla, what is something you think is underrated? Um, okay, so hands down, my home state of New Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Hands down. I just I feel like um especially, you know, now being a transplant, so people always have to tell you what they think about where you come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, as soon as somebody as soon as I tell somebody I'm from New Jersey, I just get dragged. And I'm like, how oh, I just I don't even know you. I get dragged <laughs> to filth. And I mean, I'm just like also, why would you like people are like, oh, you mean the armpit of America? And I'm like, what? I was literally about to say that. I was why just about to say that. Why would you say that, that to, to me? That's where yes. I come from. Yeah. New York's that's... garbage dump. Okay. Oh Disrespect. God. Do you see this shit? This is what uh, I'm talking about. We I think you mispronounced the garden state, Lacey. <laughs> I said what I said. No, I think Jack is correct. And that's what I, and that was my point number one. Flowers can grow in a landfill. Flowers can grow in a landfill. Okay, rude. Okay, and now here's the thing. First of all, as Jack so kindly illustrated, our nickname is the Garden State. You don't get that nickname if you're ugly and dirty. Gardens are pretty. But can we just say that, like, no one called y'all the Garden State? Like, y'all gave y'all selves that nickname? And much like when is anybody gives themselves work? a nickname... Is that how you give nicknames your, work? If I give myself the nickname Lil' Beautiful, and then I'm like, everyone calls me <laughs> Lil' Beautiful, and it's like no one ever actually called me that. Like, that's what y'all did with the Garden State. But you can all call me Lil' Beautiful, because that's what I call myself. Oh, is that how... I didn't even think about that. Is that how... Do states name themselves? I thought that... that I, I think never thought so. About that. And also, it doesn't help that, like, the highway I've probably spent the most time on is the Garden State Parkway, and the view from that is not very gardeny. It's not very verdant. It's more (laughs) factories. What highway, what freeway have you been on where the view is gardeny? That's true. The 101? (laughs) Or the basically It's basically the one. The the PCH is the only good view highway. That's barely a highway. Um, Right. I mean, but that was y'all trying to brand. Y'all were like, oh, the Garden State well, Parkway. Have- like, we know what we're looking at. We okay. know what right. we're looking at. Okay, okay. In conclusion, okay, here's what I also I have to say. Not with everybody, this political. She's doing the political thumb. Listen, like, everybody <laughs> she who is doing the, hands, she is doing the, the Bill Clinton, Clinton thumb. thumb. Yeah, the non-point laser point. point. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. You know, you see, she Lacey lived in New York for a hot seconds, so she inherited their disrespect of our state as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so, but ask New Yorkers as soon as they get money and mm-hmm. shit start going right, where do they move to? Connecticut. Okay, you oh, know what? Sorry. I don't want to be on this podcast anymore. <laughs> yes, Connecticut as well. Right, I'm sorry. Uh, and also New Jersey. And also New, New Jersey. Yeah. I, I love New Jersey. I love people from New Jersey. I love culture about New Jersey. Uh, and I fully understand all the criticisms or bullshit about New Jersey. I don't, I don't like it when, exactly like you're saying, when there's that knee-jerk... Like, oh, I've New Jersey's uh, the armpit of America shit. Uh, but anybody, 
Like people who are from New Jersey also talk shit about New Jersey, right? Oh, but I mean, don't you talk? I just dragged LA. Right. <laughs> right. right. I'm yeah, like, but I'm going to live here until I die. <laughs> but I also, die. I hate I it. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, we're entitled to do that, you know? Um, yeah, we I mean, do. I'm from we Texas, drag. so. I mean, mm. everything's bigger. I mean, we bigger. can drag every state. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, you know? I mean, we're That's cute. That's not always a good thing. Listen, our racism is also bigger, you know? Um, (laughs) And armed. 100% armed. We do everything the best. That also means we're the best at racism. Mm. (laughs) You gotta take your your good with your bad. Yeah. Uh, What is something you think is overrated? Um, Oh, uh, all this talk about we're gonna go to Mars, like, oh, we're gonna colonize Mars. It's like, first of all, I'm sorry, no, we're not. Like, we're it's not gonna happen. And if it is, it's not while any of us are alive. And then two, you think that Mars is so great. It's like here, but way worse. It's gonna be the stuff we have to do to make Mars as good as Earth is now. It can't, I, I just don't believe it. So I feel like <laughs> the idea of going to Mars, everyone's like, oh yeah, we're gonna. I'm like, no, we're not. Like, we can't deal with climate change. There's no way we're gonna be able to like end up going to another planet. We don't, we don't, ha- we're not there. Right. Maybe in a hundred years, we're not there now, you know? Yeah, thinking Mars will be like Earth is like the alien kids equivalent where like the alien kids are like, mom, we want Earth, we want Earth. She's like, we have Earth at home, cut to <laughs> right, yeah. Mars. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, ugh, I mean, kind of, but this ain't it, mom. Yeah, like, I just feel like we can't do the work to maintain Earth. Why would you think that we could go and make another Earth on Mars? Like, it does. it doesn't line up with reality. <laughs> right. Mars but overrated. We just keep ruining. We just spread out and ruin new, new and uh, beautiful lands. That's, yeah, we that's fill our... the stars with our garbage. We right. leave our all of our one-use plastics <laughs> out on the stars. Oh, we don't feel comfortable until there's a garbage gyre on uh, Mars. That's right. We're right. Good. And Elon Musk has yeah. his fucking convertible jettisoned into space now, and that's right. gonna probably crash oh, into yeah. some fucking planet. They're like. <laughs> Watch, that's going to set off the next interplanetary war is when his car fucking lands on some <laughs> spaceship and yeah. they're like, it was sent from Earth. Yeah. They just find his keys in there. I subscribe to the Star Trek uh, version that aliens know about us. They're just like, we're not fucking with them yet. They need to get their shit together. And then like, once we get <laughs> right. reach a yeah. certain level of uh, technology, they'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll acknowledge our existence. But uh, I have a feeling we will turn the red dot on Jupiter into a garbage gyre before that. Um, yeah. And then they're never going to talk to us. <laughs> they're never going to. We're always going to be. They'll be like, yeah, we're here, but we would rather not hang out with you guys. Y'all <laughs> yeah. aren't. Um, by the way, I was uh, I was wrong about the rods from God. We had talked about that on a recent episode. Uh they were not a Nazi weapon. They were a 1950s weapon, but they would work. People have figured that out. Uh, tungsten rods dropped Wait, from outer one? space. Remember, I was oh. talking about those giant rods. Oh, when dropped... you're dropping, yeah, like poles from space. Oh my poles God. from space. They, yeah, the idea was dropping tungsten rods from outer space, and they would really destroy the shit out of a planet they were, or a uh, country or oh, a boy. chunk of land they were dropped on. So that's a possibility. Jesus. That's always yeah, out there. Yeah, I imagine. Um, Did you call them rads from God? Rads from God. People, I <laughs> wow. got I got just demolished by people rushing to uh, correct me on that fact. Oh, um, History Channel gang <laughs> came for you? History yep, Channel yep. Twitter came for you? Yep. Yeah, but I appreciate it. I only vaguely remember it. And now, uh, now I can do a little research on 
Rods from God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's talk Brandy v. Monica. Monica v. Brandy. I don't know. the. I think people went in pulling for Brandy a little bit, maybe. And Brandy won uh, is the general uh, kind of version that I'm getting. But what, why don't you guys tell me? Uh, as Br- I think, Lacey, you actually watched it. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Uh, as I was telling you guys before, we all thought it was going to be girls trip, like a cute moment. And it was the mm-hmm. Titanic. It was so long. <laughs> it was a three hour Instagram live. It was disrespectful. I know I don't have anywhere to be, but at, by the end, I was starting to feel like I, I, I have somewhere to be. Like, right. right. I, I, I felt like they were rude to me. They were like, you don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to be Fuck. reminded of that. Um, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Right. And they knew it. The girls knew. And I sat there and I sat there until they did the boy is mine and they knew I was going to. And I did. Uh, Brandy definitely won her discography. Like Monica couldn't compete. She's literally done songs with Babyface, Whitney Houston, Kanye West, uh, John Tay Austin. Like I could go down the list forever. Um, even recently, she's done some songs with like Danielle Caesar. Like there was no way Monica could keep up. And then but it was weird because Brandy is. If you've ever watched Moesha, she's basically her character on Moesha. She is childish. She's petty. And they had a long-standing beef, which we've talked about, because Monica hit Brandy in the face. <laughs> and and now you can I- see, I have seen, we talked about this on yesterday's episode, and I was like, oh, I've got to see that video. Well, thank you, Zeitgang. I just had to check my me- mentions this morning, and sure enough, I got to see the video. And you can see it in Brandy's hair uh, that, like, she had been punched right before coming out there. Like, cause her hair just looks like, it's not like totally a mess, but it's just like shaking a little bit. Like it's just a little, <laughs> maybe, maybe that was like the look, but I, I don't think it was. Uh, and Freshly they just, punched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, it's wild. that And they are both absolute pros. They both nail the performance. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Monica's tired of Brandy. She, <laughs> even in the live, it's weird to watch a live where you're watching two people try to be nice to each other who right. clearly hate each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think, Maggie? What did you see, see online? This is this was my question. I didn't watch the verses, but okay. Let me just preface this. I love Brandy. I love Monica. I grew up with them. I mm-hmm. love not personally, but I grew up there with their music. I love them. Same. Um, who didn't think that Brandy was gonna win? Right. From we the knew. beginning, I was just like, Brandy's going to win. The, like, come on. And second of all, you said it was like a long thing. Do they really be having hits like that? Uh, we did, they go, did they go to B-sides and stuff and go to like TV theme songs and shit? They went to B-sides a while for a bit. They did do the TV theme songs and we did get Impossible from Cinderella. Don't play. Like, you knew that was going to happen. Yeah. It was, like, kind of torture for a little bit because I was like, girl, we don't know this song. And then they both played their new music and, listen, no, I love y'all. No, that's not I it. love them, mm-hmm. but, but Beautiful Gowns. Beautiful Gowns. And if you don't know what Beautiful Gowns is a reference to, <laughs> Aretha Franklin was once asked about the vocal capabilities of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, yeah. And she was like, <laughs> She has beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> we don't want to say nothing ugly. You know, you just give a compliment, was... child. Both of their songs were very beautiful gowns. Mm-hmm. See, they didn't need to have three hours for all of that. Just... No. Yeah. 
That's, and they also uh, just look like they were gonna fight the whole time. Like one at one point, Brandy's like, "Give me a high five, Monica." It was like Brandy was torturing her, like this rich girl who's like, you, "I was watching an episode of Gossip Girl where like the rich girl tortures the poor girl," and it's like, <laughs> mm. she was like, "Give me a high five, Monica," and she grabs Monica's hand, and Monica physically reaches away, scowls. Like, wow. <laughs> see, I would watch the verses if it was just a fight. Right. <laughs> if World Star went and sponsored that, I would have watched that. And I, I know one of the two would have been down. I'm not going to name the one I think would have been down, but one of them would have been real. We down. all know Gunica would have been down. But Maggie, also, <laughs> I'm going to need for you to not give World Star ideas because the last thing we need is a versus for just people fighting. And we would watch it. I would watch it. Don't say that out loud. Oh, if they if they were fighting to the music, like fighting to right. a soundtrack, I would pay money to see that. Like they, they each fight. get to put on the song for one round and just go in there. Um, <laughs> Why is Brandy playing Nuck If You Buck? She didn't do that. <laughs> her song. That's when you know she's, she's ready. Uh, the... Uh, the one description of a of a moment that I read was uh, Monica like made brief allusion. She was like, "I went through some times when I was, you know, I was going through some things." And Brandy was like, "Yeah, I think I experienced some of those things that you were going through." And Monica, like, kind of thinking that she could get away with that as a good natured like uh, joshing. And Monica was like, "Why'd you say that?" Brady was like, ah, I was just joking. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable because the lyrics are kick down your doors and slap your chick just to tell her Monica ain't having it. And Brandy was like, I was the chick. I got slapped. Right. <laughs> we were like, Brandy, we know. Shut up. <laughs> so they didn't. That you brought it up. Was that as close to actually addressing the fact that they had physically fought as it got? That was the other thing about this live. It was very messy. Honestly, it should have been produced at Tyler Perry Studios because it was the most Tyler Perry project I've ever seen. The only thing that's missing was like a little bit of HIV shaming and like an angry dark skin. <laughs> and JK, we got Ray J, so he covered his bases. <laughs> <laughs> but she, they brought up C Murder, who's in prison right now that they're trying to get out of prison. And actually, Monica's working with Kim Kardashian to try to get C Murder out of prison. I really think C Murder should maybe change his name um, to help <laughs> the cause. <laughs> <laughs> CJ Walker. Right. There you go. <laughs> Make people more sympathetic. <laughs> CJ Walker. He just takes over Madam CJ Walker's like ah! it would work. But so she talked about Monica saying that she was like, she, first of all, Monica had t-shirts, which I was like, t-shirts, free C murder t-shirts. This is so black. I love you guys. Mm. They're dating apparently, or she alluded to an entanglement. Um, they alluded to Usher and Moesha dating or like Usher and Brandy dating. There was a lot of messiness. It was fantastic. Mm. But yeah. And so did Brandy talk about Kobe at all? Didn't she go to prom with Kobe? She only mentioned him in kind of like a rest in peace moment. You yeah. know, there had to be a, a, a funeral moment. It was mm-hmm. it was because it was so black and Tyler Perry. And um, so she mentioned him. <laughs> Brandy also did a lot of poems. I, if you can watch this anywhere live and you just want to, like, I don't know, waste three hours of your life, it's fascinating. I think this is by far the better version, is just hearing you talk about it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it had 1.2 million people watching. I know, Kamala that's... Harris came in. 
And someone yeah. said a joke that I have to say, even though it's totally against the agenda. They were like, damn, is Kamala Harris going to come back? Or is uh, Monica Dunn checking in with her parole officer? Ooh. I know! <laughs> I cackled. Look, we love for Kamala. We love Kamala. But she did come on screen behind the Ciroc bottles um, and say hello. <laughs> That's amazing. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back in a moment. And we're back. Oh, I got a myth. There you go. Let's hear it. Am I late? <laughs> um, I got a myth, y'all. So, you know, you know, there's the myth of, and you may have heard of this, but like the, the hunter gatherer, like why, you know, back when we were hunter gatherers, why was it that men went to hunt and women stayed home to mm. like do the berries and whatever? I don't know. They always tell you about picking berries, right? Yeah. <laughs> Get them motherfucking <laughs> do berries. The berries. Mm. Do the berries. So, you know, the myth is that, you know, well, men were strong, men were faster, men, and that's why they would go out hunting. But the real, the true reality behind that is this, and this is from an anthropologist, that when women, when, when men would go out, right, a hunting party of like six, if three, if only three came home, um, it would be sad, it would be horrible, everybody would be sad, but eventually village life would go back to normal, you know? Right. But if a hunting party of six women went out and only three came back, the village would fall apart. And right. that's because women contributed so fucking much. And so as a result of that, like, so we have this myth that it's like, you know, strength. And that's why, you know, guys go out there. And but the truth is that that, you know, uh, hunter gatherer societies recognize the the importance and the value of women to the society and how integral we were. And if you got if you lost one of us, you would feel the impact. I mean, it's genetically encoded that if if uh, like basically hungry mothers give birth to more daughters because in a time of greater hunger, like where fewer people are surviving, daughters are like women are the more precious, you know, the more important, valuable uh, human being. And so when yeah. there's hunger, uh, the human body just naturally switches to giving birth to daughters and it's not like the human body's thinking that it's that that is what is better for the survival of the species. And therefore that is what has come down to us through evolution. That's so dope. Damn. Yeah. I mean, we uh, have a bomb, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea, what is something you think is overrated? Oh, this one's fun. So, our next season three premiere is on true crime and how true crimes informed our society, which, you know, is going to be really fun. But uh, something I really am annoyed by is the idea that serial killers possess some sort of genius or intelligence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if you don't mind, I would love to share a Zodiac quote that sort of proves my point. So, Please. yes, thank you. I appreciate that. So one of like the big Zodiac letters that came to police and the media uh, was actually not about like a cipher or anything like that. Uh, it came on a card that said, sorry, your ass is a dragon. And it had two prospectors riding a dragon with a donkey. I don't know. It's, it's ridiculous. And then he wrote, quote, ready? If you don't want me to have this blast, meaning he was going to blow up a school bus, you must do two things. Tell everybody about the bus bomb with all the details. 
I would like to see some nice Zodiac buttons wandering around town. Everyone else has buttons like Black Power. Well, it would cheer me up considerably if I saw a lot of people wearing my button. Thank you. And then after he didn't see any buttons, he said, this is the Zodiac speaking. I have become very upset with the people of San Fran Bay Area. They have not complied with my wishes for them to wear some nice Zodiac buttons. He was uh, doing just merch like you're a shit. fucking loser. Was, you're just such like, a loser. This, this sounds like a podcast, right? I don't, I don't like. They're like, wait a second, fam. Why aren't you? <laughs> Could you please wear some nice buttons, fam? I sent you a free Zeitgeist Simpsons T-shirt. Why aren't you wearing it? Yeah, it's it's just like God. embarrassing when you read serial killer, like actual quotes, you know, because Zodiac's like this mastermind and he eluded police. But really, he was just like a serious douchebag down like, right. in his heart, which, of course, we know. But like, it, it's just the genius thing. And then there's like Ted Bundy, who was just like ridiculous in court, defending himself and ranting and raving and just being, you know, an idiot. But then he gets this like charming. I don't know. The way we reduce serial killers, I think, is is a frustration to me. And, and I think uh, I and it's like I, th- I genuinely harmful. You I mean, to yeah. like glorify it. And also just because it's you would think, you know, maybe perhaps that people would be less fascinated by them if they realized, you know, kind of how they're losers. They're truly, Just profoundly true, losers. True, true losers. Absolutely. It's not yeah. cool to be a it's serial cool. killer. And, you know, also the, the whole serial killer panic, which, of course, is like such a panic because it's so rare to be killed by a serial killer. But mm. it also really reinforced law and order, war on crime, rhetoric. And That's a lot like the man, like the mother of Sharon Tate was a huge, huge influence in the victims rights movement, which on its surface is awesome and underneath also supports like very Republican policies. So it, it's just such huh. a complicated genre that we don't really truly dissect. And I'm not like anti true crime or anything like that. I mean, I was right. I was definitely reading Manson stuff <laughs> at about 12 oh, years yeah. old, you know. So, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting stuff That's I didn't know at all. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel conflicted about my uh, interest in that stuff. I have this loose theory that the police basically talked Jeffrey Dahmer into claiming he was uh, a cannibal, like because that he was arrested as Silence of the Lambs was becoming very popular. It was almost wow. like the culture manifested the because he was just keeping victims' body parts around, which is very gross, but also, you know, he was just, uh, it was like a, he didn't know what to do with the bodies of all these people he was killing. And so it was more of a disposal thing than anything. But then he realized what, how much attention it got him and how it's just so interesting to me that silence of the lambs and happened. And it was a national global phenomenon. And then he was arrested and suddenly there's this famous uh, serial killer who's, also a cannibal. Um, wow. That's yeah. uh, that's a theory that I can get down with. I mean, yeah. you know, like John Wayne Gacy, right? All the media showed of him was him in his clown outfit. And we talk right. a lot about like the phantom clown panic that, that happened in 2016 and also happened in the 80s of, you know, all these kids seeing clowns and uh, them being 
horrifying, you know, stranger danger murderers. Um, and it kind of single handedly changed the way that we think about clowns. You know, I mean, right. serial killers have such an enormous. And then there's like Ted Bundy that all these fundamentalist Christians came to like at the end of his life right before he was going to be executed. And they basically had a conversation blaming pornography for everything that Ted Bundy sure. did. So serial killers are used like so much more than we really consciously notice for like nefarious means. I think, I mean, I think my, where my, the first time I felt my relationship with true crime, cause originally I was just kind of like in, I'm like, yeah, this is like whatever fun. And there's all the examinations of why is it appealing and all that stuff. But um, I think it was I was having a conversation with someone about, I don't know, one of the bajillion true crime docuseries there are. And they were like talking about it in spoilers terms. And they're like, I've only watched up to episode two. Don't spoil. I was like, but someone was (laughs) murdered. Like, right. But that but because that's how the stories are like treated and formatted. You're like, oh, yeah, it's just being treated like it's fiction, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just think about making a bunch of money. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody's Just think about money. those development meetings where they're getting like giddy about the twists and turns of a real life, uh, you know, serial killing. And yeah, like you're using the, all the same manipulations that you would in a fictional text. Right. I and yet know. I watched so much of it. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm like, totally. I'm like, have I stopped I watching? Stop. No. No. no, no. I just feel worse about it. By <laughs> yeah. Doing it. Right. yeah. Yep. Sometimes uh, that's the least we can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Chelsea, what is something you think is underrated? Ooh, I'm going to say horror movies. Um okay. because I think horror movies are like I mean, you've already kind of talked about it, but they say so much about cultural anxiety and like where we're at in the moment that they're coming out and like the the different genres like the satanism genre coming out with like the exorcist was like right at the rise of fundamentalism is like a a force in politics right and then kind of was the the kickoff to some of the satanic panic where people were convinced that there were satanic cults all over um you know harming children in all of these sensational ways and then there's like hillbilly horror i'm really very interested in the shows interested in sort of like the maligning of white trash and you know the poor white person is like this kind of psychic dumping ground for um, racism and and people to blame, right? And uh, so there's like the hillbilly horror genre with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Deliverance, um, and all of those different ones. And I think that it says a lot about our relationship to the poor um, and how how middle class people, like, right, like Deliverance, you have these basically hipsters coming in and canoeing down the river for adventure. Right. Um, and then it's like, oh, it's the poor white people that are like hiding in the hills, which is a compelling and terrifying thing. Don't get me wrong. But then, totally. you know, like I think Pennywise, uh, the original Pennywise in the book and Tim Curry uh, in it uh, really encapsulated the, the dangerous stranger coming after children um, with stranger danger and really the satanic panic, our, our panic that our children are being constantly taken. Um, and then even Frankenstein, this is like, we did a whole episode called Monsters about basically how the language of the monstrous has been used against as, like people of color, but especially black people and how Mary yeah, Shelley's absolutely. book came out. Um, King Kong, uh, like there's, yeah. Which one? King Kong? Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's yeah. that's like so overt, right? Mm. Um, but then like Mary Shelley's book about Frankenstein was reprinted the same year that um, 
the slave rebellion led by Nat Turner, which is one of the most famous of all time, happened. And all of the language of Frankenstein was used to talk about him like he's broken from his change that chains they use the actual language of Frankenstein and then when the movie came out in the 30s there was all this racial anxiety from the 20s with jazz clubs and white women you know being influenced by black men and the whole black men steal white women trope that's been around since the very beginning Mm -hmm. and the movie had like these two interesting parts where it was like Again, like the the dangerous black man coming after women, white women and children, because you've got that scene where he doesn't understand and throws the child in the water. And then there's also, though, this like other line kind of like of liberal do-goodery, right, where Frankenstein meets this blind man who could be like colorblind. Right. And he mm. teaches this like hopeless, helpless monster, like the morals of of good society. And so it's like Mm. this really interesting, I don't know. I just think we write horror movies off a lot as trash, but now we have like get out and we have parasite and we have these incredible horror movies that, that are addressing social issues. And and now our villains are, you know, elite cults or, um, and even horror and trauma with like hereditary and the Babadook. And, and, you know, just, it really tells something about where we're at and they're like our urban legends our fairy tales you know they're they're so vital to understanding culture but we just like to think that they're they're trash and you know but really it's, yeah it's go pretty ahead. fascinating too because even with i mean even when a horror movie gets it wrong in terms of the cultural anxiety they're expressing which they often do it's still like you're saying it does kind of contextualize at very least the filmmaker's perspective but often whatever uh, uh prominent line of thinking during that time where i don't know on the bechdel cast we've been talking about this a lot lately because we're recording our halloween month episodes of how often like you said hereditary and i think ari aster is a huge perpetrator of this issue of like uh he just cannot write uh, any anything in relation to mental illness intelligently or well um, he just fumbles it every single time and the opening scene of midsummer is like the most horrific misinterpretation of bipolar disorder maybe in all of film ever uh but it does it is very revealing about who he is and how he views people i don't know like and, and it's also a, a very common uh stereotype that he's perpetuating there and there's a million examples of it that's one that like in the past couple of years has just like stuck with me but it, it it is like revealing of like well in 2019 this was still a pretty popular flawed way of thinking and the way that like so often like monsters are differently abled and just there's so many i mean it's fascinating and fucked up and yeah horror it's like they they really that genre really like lays it out for you for better and for worse man i love what you said about him because he gets so like people love those movies and I just cannot, I cannot. And I read a quote from him because I did, I used to blog about horror stuff and I read an interview from him that basically says he just tries to do the most transgressive fucked up thing. It's not a direct quote, but you know, that that's his goal is to make the most fucked up thing he can. And I think that that is such a weird privilege. Yeah. Thing to do. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. When you're writing from somebody else's perspective, you can get in trouble real fast that you don't understand, you know? So I appreciate that. (laughs) Chelsea, you said something about uh, the clown uh, craze or the uh, clown panic of a few years ago. 
So I had uh, seen a bunch of YouTube videos of clowns doing or like clown sightings and stuff. Was that all? Was that all made up? Because it kept me awake. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, like, so I don't know. Did you watch the Wrinkles, the the clown documentary on Hulu? No, no. I just watched it. I'm actually. Gonna. I don't know. Dude, do you know the the podcast you're wrong about? I don't know if you. It's a yes. great podcast, but yeah. we're doing a crossover. I'm going on their show to do a clown episode, which is like so much fun. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. But there was a guy, uh, if you watch this documentary, that he made a sticker that said "Call Wrinkles" uh, and then a phone number, and the whole he created this whole lore that parents were calling in to discipline their children with him. So I think, and it was all bullshit like it was just sort of like an avant-garde you know whatever you want to call it art thing um but then you know it, it's it's a hysteria in that like if you think of satanic panic like children like most of these sightings and it happened in the 80s too um very similar but of course it moved much slower because the internet didn't exist but it was all over the country which is more interesting to me because it's so hard to spread those you know those ideas and those urban legends but um yeah, he he did that. And then I think that, oh, what I was saying is, is you know, they all come from about seven-year-old kids. And when you're a seven-year-old, you know, you can make up anything. Like in the satanic panic, it was like their teachers were flying around the room and, you know, they were being flown to Mexico and put in kiddie pools full of sharks. And everybody took this really, really seriously because, you know, it was a time when when assaults and sexual abuse of children was finally kind of coming to the forefront, but then it went too far right. and everybody believed everything that a seven-year-old said. Um, and as we know, I can remember being a kid and there was this whole controversy where these two girls were chased by a man with a scar on his face and, you know, all these letters went home saying that this was true. It was on the local news. It turned out that they just were going to be late getting home. <laughs> and They made up oh a story and it just got like God. madly out of control. I mean, can you imagine the stress of that? <laughs> and then, um, you know, and then I just remember being like, oh, yeah, I saw him. Oh, absolutely. He was doing this and this. And, you know, I saw him in the woods. And that's just what happens is kids like one up each other and then the parents right. find out or they tell the parents and then the parents take it seriously. Like men were shooting their guns just into the woods, just straight up into the woods because they thought they heard a weird sound Seems and their safe. kids had said that a clown lived in a mm -hmm. shack in the mm -hmm. woods. So there's what is this a metaphor guns. for? It sounds like a metaphor for something. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It gosh. sounds like QAnon shit to me. That, <laughs> you know? That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, the point about it was a time when, you know, it was being acknowledged that children uh, were being abused. And, you know, after the 70s, where it was just such a creepy decade uh, yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, like pedophilia was like a mainstream like thing. Um, and, but like, it, it just reminds me of the two prongs of the QAnon thing where yes, there's a massive problem with human trafficking and uh, sexual abuse of minors that is being uncovered with the Epstein thing. And it is in the upper echelons of society, but it's not, uh, but could there be fair. anything more counterproductive into addressing that than right. Q and <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then you can just like what better villain is there, right? That Q and you, you can't create a better villain than a satanic pedophile. Like there is right. no thing that society could more loathe and collectively loathe together. So it's such 
it's such a evocative thing to build a movement around because it's so hard to say, oh, well, that's not happening. And so it's just this very, ugh, it's just a terrible thing. And the upper echelons, of course, are just as guilty of crimes against children as any other sect of society. Like we act like this is, you know, like 90% of childhood sexual abuse is happening by people that they know that the child knows. And so it's this other sensational thing. That's like, here's where abuse is happening. So we don't have to deal with where most abuse is happening. And so it's, yeah, it's bonked. All right, let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So the NBA did come back over the weekend uh, after taking some time for what uh, was basically a wildcat strike with the players striking. Uh, The players union got involved. They got some concessions from some of the owners that, you know, we we have to see if the owners actually follow through uh, on on those, uh, you know, actions that they agreed to. But uh, the... The league is back, uh, and a story that we've kind of been tracking is just that the ratings have been lower than uh, I would have expected because uh, we were all so bored and so like <laughs> so ready for sports to come back uh, when the NBA came back. And I was expecting it to be like higher than it's ever been, and it's actually been like lower than usual. And they're also like. As I was kind of thinking about that, the news broke that there really haven't been any uh, convention bounces from either the RNC or DNC. And those were both, you know, unique from previous conventions in the sense that they were a different format. Like it wasn't a bunch of people walking out onto stage, but there was no crowd. And it just seems like maybe the energy that a crowd kind of brings to any anything that you're watching uh, or especially being there is just something that uh, I, it's like sort of an ineffable thing that you can't like scientifically quantify, but it's definitely absolutely real and probably underrated in our modern world uh, or had been underrated until until this pandemic. We always need a confirmation of reality So I feel like at comedy shows, it's like you hear other people laugh and you're like, yeah, we're all having fun here. Mm -hmm. Or I mean, that's why you don't tape a stand up special without a crowd. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you always have one. And then with basketball, it's the same thing. I think it's that energy and, and watching other people. I didn't realize how it was the connective tissue, you know, in this situation. And that's also been surprising to me, too. Because like I was saying at the MTV Awards, I was like, it was freaking me out that they put laugh tracks under things. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. But I mean, more people always equals more energy. Like when you walk in any big event, I think people in every sort of uh, way, all types of um, big gatherings, like missing that because like even before, if you go to like a concert, even before it starts, you can feel that feeling or like a big game. So I don't know. It makes sense to me that that could have an effect on things for sure. It's probably yeah. also affecting the players. Like yeah. I imagine like you're out there and you're used to people screaming and shouting and like hyping you up and now yeah. it's just like y'all are playing like scrimmage basketball. Right. Yeah. I heard they were <laughs> like I heard they were adding squeaks. 
Yeah. <laughs> they're like, so, so that it seems like they're cutting and actually running hard. They're adding space. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Could, so... could you guys talk some shit, please? Just like anything. Uh, like, who's editing this? Like, I know. Like, I mean, are we going to edit in heckles? <laughs> right. <laughs> going to get a couple hecklers in there? Yeah. I mean, we, we've... I have a theory that it's making the defense worse because people are, you need the crowd energy, the home crowd energy to like get you up for defense. But like offensively, we're seeing people do like unbelievable shit. And it's just like, they've always been capable of that. If the defense was just like 10% worse and just people like offense has its own rewards is like watching the ball go through the hoop. And, uh, but like playing defense, you have to like really, draw on something else draw on like all your energy to give a shit about stopping someone because it's so easy to to miss you know yeah i also wonder like subconsciously there's so much other shit going on in the world like that's so much bigger like for anyone in any job it's right. gotta be like a little bit less easy to focus you know yeah and i was just gonna say after watching the last dance um when Jordan basically was saying that he had no competition, so he had to make up beefs with people so that he could yeah. beat them. Like I'm like, yeah, I guess I all gotta get out there on the defense and just take it personally. Like yeah. make up <laughs> some things that they said about your mama before y'all play, because there's no crowd. That's what separated him. He was. Oh my like, god! When I watched that, I was like, this man is unwell. Anyone, was like, oh, oh, wow. To be at the top, you have to be very unwell. To be at the top and to stay at the top, like, you really need. You have to be in a fight at all times. Yes. You have to make the fight up. Wow. And that was all I needed. Yeah. Was And that was something that, like, the ratings were just through the roof. And that's that's this that's kind of why I thought like when the NBA comes back it's gonna be wild. But uh, instead, I think I think we need that. I think we need that crowd. I think we need yeah. that. Uh, you know, people. Because in all the Jordan clips, there were crowds. Right. Jerry Krause yeah, exactly. is dead. Oh, they talk cash shit about him. If he had been alive, I feel like nobody in that documentary would have went as hard as they did. I was shocked. <laughs> I have a controversial opinion on him because you know. As an athlete, and it's the same thing to me as a comedy booker who takes credit for all the talent. Bitch, you've never played a game in your life. You <laughs> haven't done shit. And a lot of people are like, yes, but he made the most winning uh, franchise and he was cutthroat. I'm like, no, honey. He thought he was Jordan and he, you're not Jordan. You can barely run, Okay. He could not wait to break that team apart so he could show everybody that it was really him who had been the, you he know, the magic such, man behind the curtain. Such a hater. And there was somebody, I, don't, I forget who in The Last Dance, who was like, yeah, he was an ugly little man. And I think that <laughs> had to do with it. And I was like, yeah. damn. Yeah. He's dead. Y'all gonna call him an ugly little man? I was so right. mad at him. Everyone yeah. was like, they're too hard on Jerry Krause. I was like, no, bitch. They said the truth. And what that was that he is not a basketball player. And to break up the the best team of all time, I'm still mad, yeah. even though he's dead. The book that <laughs> is about the exact same thing, uh, the it's called uh, Playing for Keeps, and it's about that last season. And uh, Jerry Krause and like, you know, covers all the same stuff. It's by David Halberstam, who's like one of the best sports writers. And it 
comes to the exact same conclusion that you just did. It's just like this dude can't get out of his own way. Can't stop saying just wild shit. That's like, well, they couldn't have done it without me. I put, I put everybody and they're like, it's almost, they portray him as a, as a tragic figure because he can't help himself. Yeah. His ego is bigger than the people that are actually doing the work or the art. That's like when these comedy bookers like, go off on, you know, they make all these big proclamations about comedy and that they know what's best about comedy. And it's like, you have never stepped on stage a day in your life. You truly have no idea and you're not the artist. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, middlemen are a scammer position. Someone right. has always figured out how to separate people, like, the, the art from from the money. Yeah. And they slide in, they're like, I, I, this is what I do for you. Like, it's like, yeah. you don't. And there's, they know that. Like, that, it's it, we, it's kind of a weird comparison, but, like, that knowledge that they've never been on there, like, even if they don't consciously think about it, it's in their mind somewhere where they're just like, there's like some insecurity building up inside them. That's why they do, you know, terrible things and are like terrible to people who don't deserve it because there's insecurity. And I think that I, we've talked about that with, with regards to white supremacy, like, and just uh, being a white person in America, you are constantly aware of this contradiction of like even if you have never put it into words in your mind there is part of you that knows that you were born with an unfair advantage and continue to live with one and I think that's where a lot of the just toxicity and hatred is like trying to deny that and um, it's like this dissonance that like eats away and like you know really fucks a culture yeah yeah, wow. and trying to like scapegoat people or always looking for a reason why, you know, black people who have been unfairly murdered deserved it. Because yeah. that's always and that's not even just for black people. Like I see white men do that with women and sexual assault all the time. It's like or, or when Megan the Stallion got shot in the foot mm-hmm. and I looked at the comments and that's black men looked at the comments and they're like, well, what did she do? And it's like, there's nothing that she could have done to deserve this little tiny man shooting her in the foot. Yeah. Right. Like, the cognitive is- dissonance, but for everyone is crazy. And uh, it's yeah. so much about like what we've uh, ingested, like unconsciously and subconsciously, like throughout our lives from when we were like little kids. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has to deal with it. It's not just white people. So I wish that maybe if we all recognize that and weren't like, this is just something that I have to deal with and we could be like, Oh, okay. Everyone has a privilege that they have to check or like realize that they've had their whole life and deal with it instead of trying to blame the people who don't have things. Yeah. And finally, what is a myth? What's something people think is true, you know, to be false. Um, the myth is that if you get rabies, you will definitely die. And the myth, I'll debunk that because we have a protocol called the Milwaukee Protocol that um, now if you, so basically if you get bit by a, you know, a bat or something like that, you can go and get a prophylaxis. But if you don't go to, the, but if you don't know or you don't realize and you go to the hospital once you have rabies symptoms, for the most part, you will die. Like, there's just nothing you can do. But there's a doctor who, yeah, I'm sorry, I got bad news. Yeah, if you get bit by a bat, I was reading about this online, and just like, the number of people who were like, oh, yeah, I was bit by a bat, and then just like didn't tell anyone or go to the doctor, guys, knock it off. 
Yeah. Or or a raccoon or a possum, any kind of uh, woodland animal. Yeah. Just go. Just call, go to the ER. And then, so basically, uh, this doctor developed something that's called the Milwaukee Protocol, and they it was sort of on necessity, like, uh, this a girl came in who had already was already having rabies symptoms, which usually is fatal. And so he developed something called the Milwaukee Protocol, where essentially they just put you into a medically induced coma for a month. Oh, right. And then they revive you and hope that sort of the effects of rabies have, has passed out of your body. Because uh, usually what kills you is the effect of the virus. Like, it's not... Uh, like, if you could survive the initial um, symptoms, then you could potentially live. The problem with this is that it does work, but it only works about um, one, like one out of four people. Damn. The rest of the time, you're just not. It's just over. Yeah. So the myth you're busting is not that rabies is a bad time. Rabies is still a bad time. You, yeah. You, you don't recommend it. Uh, two stars out of five. Don't uh, do it. I might even give it one, <laughs> right. honestly. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, yeah. If you get rabies, you what the myth is, you don't necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to die. It means you have to go immediately get put into a coma, right? And, and see how it writes out. Yeah. So it means um, a good shot. You might die. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. 100%. The one thing I just do want to say, uh, because my mother is a card carrying member of the American Opossum Society, uh, it's very rare that possums would have rabies. Right, Extremely that's a great rare. point. Thank, thank you so much for bringing that up. It, it is very unlikely. Yeah, it's, possum it really Twitter. Like, my my mother will listen, and she'll be like, "Possums are don't have it. That's they have a bad rap." Uh, so yeah, yeah they can get they, it. Any mammal can yes. get it, but it's extremely rare yeah. for possums. Yeah, in America, it's usually bats. In other parts of the world, like sometimes it's like yeah, that's what I was just reading. Or stuff, but yeah, it's usually bats. So if if a bat is even near you, if you find a bat in your house, just go in. Like I, there's. You don't fuck around. Don't fuck around I'm, with rabies, guys. That has always I, been my my <laughs> instinct is to get the fuck away from bats. They're such scary creatures. Yeah. Oh. Do you think people who get bit by bats, though, they don't tell anyone because low key, they're like, man, maybe some, you know, I might get some new skills yeah. or some, some new. And then they're like, oh, my new skill is just shaking violently and feeling right. right. Yeah. My new skill is I can't drink water anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> they go watch something Batman about it. And, just. Kind of does something to like, me oh, when I see shit, that water. That's not how he got it. Never mind. Yeah. That's, that's not his origin story. Shit. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. I used to uh, when when I was growing up, our house, multiple of our houses in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, had bat problems, mm-hmm. and I would wake up in the middle of the night and be like, "There's a bird in my room again," and my dad would have to like chase the <laughs> bat out of the house with a uh, tennis racket. Oh yeah, I grew up um like in Northeast Ohio. I, I I feel like a bird or a bat got in the house every other week. Like they yeah. were constantly like if you left a door open, they were getting in, and uh, we had to chase them around with like a laundry basket, and yeah. and, and, and try to capture them. I know. Well, uh, shout out to Ohio and West Virginia. <laughs> shout out to people who leave their shit open all day where animals can get in. I'm like, what the fuck. Ain't no bird getting in my house ever, but it's also because it's so hot <laughs> now. Like you'd never leave your door wide open or right, windows yeah. like wide open with no screen. Ours Absolutely were in the not. attic. Ours were. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. they're coming in through. Well, well, I thought you lack. said there's a bird in your room. Oh, but then it would get into the house from the attic. Right. Yeah. 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 Got it. We okay. had attic. We we had a big snake problem. The snakes would get into the basement and then crawl up through the heating ducts into the house. That is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. There's always and what you would just watch them emerge from the floor and you're like, uh, snake. snake. One one time, my brother, what my youngest brother, was coming out of his room and he looks down like at the heating register on the ground and there's just a snake coming out of it and looking at him. 
And it wasn't like a poisonous snake or anything, but that means that snake got yeah. from the basement to the second floor of my parents' house through the heating ducts. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Snake problems are a real thing. I, our house in Missouri uh, had a snake, th- like it had like a little bog behind it, and oh, there yeah. were just snakes all the fuck over the place. It was very <laughs> disturbing. Big bog um, problems. Yeah. Yeah. Big bog problems. That's right. Uh, BBP. Occasionally, we say incorrect medical facts, medical science. Uh, so, real quick, up top, rabies is one hundred percent deadly. Uh, we <laughs> so one of our guests did a medical myth busting on a recent episode, uh, and her science wasn't one hundred percent up to date. Uh, basically, <laughs> rabies. She was like, rabies, you can survive it twenty five percent of the time, sometimes, uh, and that. There was like a podcast, I think, that would have led you to believe that. I think it was Radio Lab that it was uh, more survivable. Uh, but they were talking about one specific example. Historically, one person has survived rabies by being put into a medically induced coma. Otherwise, it kills you 100% of the time. So don't fuck with rabid animals, Zeitgang. <laughs> How many times do I have to tell y'all? Uh, yeah, we, we always... Always get into trouble anytime uh, we are trying to do a myth busting about medical facts. So we. I'm, <laughs> I'm weak, not rabies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start this episode off with, oh, and by the way, y'all. By the way, <laughs> rabies. Stop making out with them raccoons out right. in your dumpster. They're not, yeah. they're cute, but they are deadly still. All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, it means the world to Miles. He he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Bye.